Welcome to Beers, Business, and Balls, presented by House Enterprise and brought to you by Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com slash house, and you can get 20% off your order and free shipping around the world. I'm Jake, and that's Will. Uh, episode 91, we've got Sean Quirk, the head coach of the Cannons, PLL, uh, talking some all-star game action in a couple weeks, um, talking about what the Cannons have to do to steer the ship, talk about Paul Rabel, Lyle Thompson, all that stuff. We'll get there. Um, I don't know where to start. Um, the NBA is... Dummy money. Dumb it is money. dummy money. I, thank like, you for I saying mean, it's, it's It's one of those things where I don't understand how teams can afford players. I don't understand, like why I'm so fascinated about, I'm not a big NBA guy as a whole. Like I follow the Knicks. I appreciate the sport, but the only thing that really sparks my interest is how fast the landscape can change in the league by one or two trade deadlines and off seasons. It's insane. I mean, it's starting to get a little quieter now. I mean, we still have some players moving around, but we can, you know, we already know that Kyrie's on his way out. Kate, Kevin Durant has requested a trade like those two players will shift the momentum in different teams, but the money is absolutely berserker. I mean, we have three guys that just signed super max deals, uh, Jokic, Bradley Beal, and Devin Booker, all four or five years, 220 million plus. It is insane. And I guarantee one of those three guys will not be finishing that, that deal on their team. And that's how it just how it works. I sent out a tweet today where it was like, imagine going to your boss demanding a raise getting an absolute boatload of money and then being like i'm not working anymore trade me and they yeah what the fuck is that that's bullshit they literally have to and we've seen the only guy you know knock on wood it's been Giannis. Giannis gets the bag he won a championship at home he does not does not look like he's going to leave anytime soon and the same with steph curry but everyone else, there is no loyalty in the NBA. And it's just, that's why I also don't like the league, but it's just crazy that it's like you force the team to bend the knee and pay you a boatload of money to then be like, nah, fuck you actually trade me. Like the Nets are in shambles. I mean, granted, they could make another push again, but like the Nets literally mortgaged their future, yeah. had to build a team around guys, build a team around Katie, Kyrie, Harden, now Ben Simmons with not like you know promising players and now they're going to lose out on everything and it's well, i mean look at the roi on on irving i mean that's that's a that's got to go down if he doesn't have a miraculous comeback somewhere else it's got to go down as one of the worst deals ever ever you know ever and again i don't blame him opting in it's 36 million but now he's got like because he was going to take a mid-level to the Lakers, which was like $6 million. I'm like, I don't see that. And again, he wasn't already happy when LeBron was leading the Cavs the first time, even though he got a ring out of it the last time Kyrie was relative, relative in a positive manner. If we're going to be completely honest, call a spade a spade. Um, I don't know. It's just one of those things where it's like, you literally are making dumb money. And I'm not saying shut up and dribble. I'm not saying that. Like, you have the right to be unhappy. But, like, you're forcing the teams to, like, make these uncomfortable decisions where it's like, you're now, not only are you saying trade me, but, you know, guys like Kevin Durant who are like, you are trading me to either the, the Heat or the Suns. And it's like, what if the return's not there? Right. You know? And you can't, yeah, I, I agree. And with the situation like Irving, I get it. You're unhappy. You request a trade, but look at this dude's track record, man. 
Why would anybody Cleveland? I don't know how. I actually don't know how Cleveland ended. That was was that relatively peaceful. I think it was more of the fact that like I don't know if it wasn't necessarily peaceful. He was kind of just like eh, I want to prove that I can do it myself, and that was the yeah. whole you know. It was oh, right. traded to the Celtics, and then they traded away it. It was just a sour deal as a whole. But then he was like, "I love Boston. I'm going to resign here." Immediately jump ship to go to the Nets, and then it's yeah. been like constant bullshit. He pushed James Harden out. He didn't play any games. They didn't win anything. It's you know, I will never forget because that was it was 2019. Everyone's like, you know, I myself and you were too. Katie and Kyrie to the Knicks. We have the open spots. Let's do it. You know what? I'm glad we didn't. I'm glad we didn't. I would have oh, hundred million percent. I Kevin Durant, even though he's kind of snakeish, but Kyrie is. I don't know why any team wants him. I I don't understand. Like if I were in any situation of bargaining, I'd be like, you got to give me like more than Kyrie. Like Kyrie can't necessarily be the the crown jewel of this trade. If it's picks, great. Maybe maybe not another player because then you're working on like super mega. Blo- like blockbuster kind of deal but you gotta eat the money you gotta eat the money i mean 36.8 million or something like that like it's insane and now it looks to like when you go to the lakers right they're stuck with russell westbrook on a 47 48 million dollar deal and yeah. it's like again russell, russell westbrook can still be a generational talent and he didn't have the strongest year last year it was a lot of pressure i understand that but like Again, if who are you gonna, you're not happy with him and you're locked with locked in with him for four more years. How do you get him off the team? There's not many people that one can afford to take on that money. Right, two, that's the thing. Two want to. Why would I want to blow up a young core of players I'm building to take on a guy who's like, yeah, he might say fuck it and want to be traded. So it's it's uh, um, yeah. it's crazy. It's banana lands in the NBA. It's a crazy you, time out here. Sam's dunking yes. on Woj. Uh, yeah that's true Woj is out he's a step behind he was all over the like the i will say Woj was first in one place and it was all the guys that (laughs) it was all the guys that were signing with the pistons no it was the knicks trades with the pistons from a couple nights ago yeah he was all over that shit he's like oh yeah cool the knicks are clearing nine billion nine million more bucks for jalen effing brunson who we'll talk about that later on Going to the Knicks, uh, we've got some things lined up for rapid fire, but yeah, it, it's banana land out here. Uh, and this is, by the time this drops, free agency is going to be less than 24 hours in. Like this is, this is already mayhem. Crazy stuff. Um, crazy stuff indeed with the NBA. Um, really good episode for you guys this week. Again, it's Sean Quirk, um, Massachusetts guy, coached the Boston Cannons. He coached Jed Endicott, and now he's the Cannons head coach. We'll get there in a bit uh let's have some beer first we're on the move still right you and i are just getting a a tour of the nation at this point uh and beyond you're getting a tour of the world because you got to do dubai Um, it's been it's been busy for both of us so yeah um you want to go first with another cruise beer yeah yeah i had some more local stuff um oh it is official jalen brunson 104 million dollar deal four years uh let's go nova big east ball um no, but yeah, Maybe another. Not let's go Nova, but the Big East Ball. Yes, I agree. Yeah, it's another uh, cruise beer. I was gonna go local, but I'll save that for later on with some new things coming out. So I did the uh, Floridian. It's from Funky Buddha Brewery, which I believe is in Florida. Um, I did a Hef- It's a Hefeweizen. It's brewed with you know, it it's supposed to define the state of Florida, which. Again, I don't know if I would have done Heffenweizen 
to define the state of Florida, but that's fine. It was very tropical um, for a wheat beer. Wasn't too overpowering with the flavor, but it definitely toned out the wheatness. Uh, three seven five for me. I've been on a Hefeweizen kick. I don't know why. It's a lot of breweries are you know opting to brew that at the moment, which is you know cool to see that it's not just you know the same old IPAs. Um, three point seven five, pretty solid. I'll definitely like to try to make a, a trip down there one day. Yeah. Um. I hot take. I really like Hefeweizen. Yeah. No, I do too. I do too. I think it's a superior style of light beer. I would. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be like have to be light. Um, there are some pretty jacked up hefts in some places. You can get like a seven or eight percent hef in some places. Yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of like the the industry looks at it and they lean into like the banana kind of flavor because it sort of tastes like banana. That's just the way it works. Like the malt, the style you use for your mash and stuff it's very much it just comes out like banana so summer beer i I would say top three styles of summer beer new england ipas um like a crisp pale ale like a really solid clear pale ale and then and then a half of bison for me yeah that's fair maybe a maybe a sour beer uh, as an honorable mention a fruited sour yeah i would say those are like that in any order, those are my like top four, basically. Yeah, I do need to get over to uh, Providence, which is right across the street. Uh, right. But they're for, for the frozen beer. Oh, I'm, shit, in, I'm intrigued. Right. I'm intrigued. I've seen pictures. I'm intrigued. Yes, we will. We will talk to the good folks over there shortly. Yes. Uh, about all their good stuff brewing up. Um, so I am recording this episode in the gateway to the left, gateway to the west. St. Louis, Missouri. Um, I'm just going to say it. This is a very boring city. <laughs> um, listen, it is very cool downtown. Like I was downtown last night. Um, you know, my boss at work was taking me to the near the Cardinals game, right? We didn't go in, but we were hanging out near Bush Stadium and stuff. Uh, hit a brewery down there. They love the Cardinals. Like if you like baseball, you can get away with going there and just being a, like a, like going to games, right? Season tickets are not that expensive. We could have went in the game for five bucks last night. Which is pretty insane because like the Cardinals are a team that, you know, have had such longevity with their players. And, you know, you got, you get to root for guys that are actually enjoyable to root for Yadier Molina, Adam Wainwright, pool host. And then they're, young, I mean, they're young talent now, obviously they signed Arenado for the bag. Um, Tyler Edmonds, very good. You know, they're, they're, uh, they're definitely a team on the watch. Yeah. I mean, that, so Bush stadium was really cool from the outside. I've heard really great things on the inside. Um, but if you start walking like, you know, a couple minutes, the other way, St. Louis is like, I don't know. I've seen better. I've like the, the architecture is really old. There's like 9 billion former businesses that are just aren't there anymore. And I feel bad, you know, COVID wiped out a bunch of them, but it's like, if you're not there for baseball, you're going to be miserable. Yeah. Um, like so you and I could survive here for sure. Because like, we could just fucking go to Cardinals games every day. Like I do not like the Cardinals. Uh, they are in my lower half of teams that I root for. I'd even say like bottom five, like socks are obviously number one down there. I say the Cardinals are in the bottom five. Um, no particular reason, but 
I don't know. I could still get away with it. Um, beer's not as good as where we are as well, right? Like you go to Charlotte, awesome. We talked about that. Like you go up to Maine, even better. Um, St. Louis has a lot of breweries, but they're just not as good. And I think that's okay, right? It's like a, it's a lagging market in, you know, they're just not growing as the rest of the, yeah. the those small pockets are. So um, my first night here, and I'll try to sort of stagger this out over the next couple of weeks if I can, but uh, my first night here, I hit Shortleaf Brewing Company. Uh, it was called Petrichor for some of you people that know the St. Louis beer scene. Um, residential area, really, there were like a bunch of houses around, like nice houses. Um I had a few good beers, but the one that stood out to me was a, uh, it was called an Imperial Samoa Stout. And it's, uh, it's exactly what it uh, sounds like. You know, they just made an Imperial Stout and jacked it up with Samoa, um, like, like Samoa that. cookies, I'm pretty sure. I um, I, so I had this 11.1% beer as like my, my second beer of the night. It was a pint of like some IPA that I tasted something and then I had an 11.1% Imperial Samoa Stout and if I I was like at the end of that I felt like I got punched in the face I'm like all right I will be ubering home if I have like any more sip of alcohol tonight so um 3.75 that was pretty good um again not as good as the stouts um you know up in this area but it was, it was good. It was good enough to, uh, to stand the test of St. Louis beer. So, uh, short leaf, I probably wouldn't go back, but maybe I would just go back for that beer. That's our view. Stout in the summer is a bold play. It is. I just needed to try it. Like I wasn't going to walk out of there and I probably should have got the taster of that, but I was like, fuck it. I'm feeling adventurous. 11.1%. Crazy. <laughs> that was, that was crazy. Um, yeah, that was nuts. We'll have more. I've got better beer from St. Louis. There's other really good, like we went to uh, a distillery and a brewery last night and I did like a the single malt scotch ale, which I will be definitely reviewing next week. So decent stuff, decent stuff, different kind of stuff though. Um, let's go to business before we get into our interview with Sean Quirk. A um, couple big things here. So Air New Zealand, we'll start with them because fuck the market. We're not talking about crypto this week or anything like that. Air New Zealand is about to add a 17-hour flight from Auckland to JFK. That's fucking crazy. I, first of all, I'd drive myself crazy if I were ever on a 17-hour flight. Like, I can't do that. I just I'm sorry. I know. That's like even – I don't know if I'd be able to do 15 without, like, stopping in Europe, you know? It's too much, too long. So for the direct flight over layovers, to be honest. Yeah, it has its advantages because like there's just less shit to worry about. And like you have to reboard an international plane to some random country. I get it. But like I don't there's something about it that 17 hours I go stir crazy. Um, Bullshit. It's a lot. Yeah. So here's what Air New Zealand's doing for this. You're gonna be able to rent a bunk bed during these long hauls. Um, it's basically you buy your seat and then you can rent these beds while you're on the plane. But the problem is, cause I was looking at this like, Oh, that's pretty cool. Like, you know, maybe every seat will have uh, like a bed you can recline into or something like that. Like they do in first class, but here's the problem with all this shit. 
they're renting them out for four hours at a time. So four hours and you're out. It's like you have trouble falling asleep for the first two hours. Great. You fucking get to sleep two hours and that's it. So I get the concept. It's like, you know, you only have limited space. You got to make sure everybody's like got a, a chance to sort of hop in these beds. But I, this, this just doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound like the right solution to me. No, because I'd be pretty pissed off that someone's waking me up in four hours. And then also the cleanliness too. I mean, cleans aren't clean to begin with. I always wipe down my, my seat and stuff, but that's kind of gross. I mean, they'd have to then turn around time and change it. Um, I don't know. You have to like reset the bed. Yeah. My biggest gripe with planes is the fact that they, and again, it's clearly not cheap to fly an aircraft, fuel, insurances, manufacturing of the plane, staffing. I, I understand the expense to it. They squeeze way too many seats into flights. You have yeah. no fucking room if you're not flying, if you're flying economy. And it's like, it's, it's, it's 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 sickening it really is that it's like from whether it's a 45 minute flight a couple hour flight like your knees are in your chest and like if they just made the space in between the rows a little bit more and you can recline comfortably without disrupting the person behind you i don't know I'm, like, I'm I don't know what the on, right answer for. I'm allowed on renting a bunk bed for an additional price for unless I'm getting it for the yeah, whole. Yeah, I, I agree. I'd, I'd be like, no, I'll pay extra and buy this for the whole time. Might as well just like, get economy. I mean, a uh, business. Yeah, sure. Because then you get like nice meals and shit too. Yeah. Um, I don't know. They're like the. I don't know what gives with year it feels like there's these crazy like high-tech proposals that are like look at what this new private invested company is going to do they're going to they're going to change air travel forever i feel like we've been hearing about that for like 12 years and i get it it's lengthy you need the right faa clearances for things and homeland security needs to be on board with whatever the hell you do and the manufacturers have like airbus and boeing have the biggest footholds in this market um, and it's impossible. Like if you don't get them bought in, you get nobody bought in. And I, I understand there are so many, I'm not trying to dumb it down and say like, you know, oh, there's such an easy solution, but how the hell is it that we've seen virtually no improvement in the flight experience in the entire time that you and I have been alive? That is insane. Uh, yeah. and I don't have the answer and I don't think you do either. It's like, what the fuck do we do? No, there's no other option. It's not like you could like we don't have a high speed rail system, and the the what the highest speed rail that we do have fucking derails. That was crazy. That was nuts. That was Ninety miles an hour. Insane. I mean, I think it hit some kind of truck. Yeah, there was a dump truck in the middle of the road. But I mean, I saw the videos of people like when it was flipped over on the side, just sitting on top of it in like a middle of a cornfield. I'm like, that's kind of badass. But like, also like, how did no one die from that? there were well the guy died in the dump truck yeah obviously <laughs> i mean when a fucking 90 mile an hour amtrak's coming at you you're done for yeah i mean every year that same photo circulates of the uh cross-continental uh high-speed railway and like yeah. that map and i'm like why the fuck don't we have that 
it's because our country's so averse to spending that kind of it. Like it is expensive. Yeah, but you know how many jobs that would generate, and how much tourism that would generate, and about like I ninety, like the interstate, uh, the interstate system. So that like, was crazy. it would take people off the roads, and it would you know not use as much gas. Like again, I'm not an economist and I'm not an environmentalist. You're telling me these things, it seems like this would make a lot of sense. But again, let's fight over other stupid shit and both parties are wrong and not agree to something that would benefit everybody. I, that's like, I, that's a hill I'll die on, is this cross-continental high-speed train. I've been seeing pictures of it since I was in middle school. And you're telling me it's just a fallacy? That, yeah, because you look at Europe and you look at China China, like you're on a train and I've never done this. I'm speaking from secondhand experience here, but like you look out the window, you can't even see like what's in front of you because the train's going 250. Yeah. I mean, why I the did, fuck can't we have this? I did an overnight train from Paris to Germany and it was, you got to sleep on it. They came with food. It was a high speed train. You're waking up in the morning, seeing the fucking German Alps. Like it was a cool experience and it was super cheap. It's a no, it's, we're such a stupid society, but. This is, it's so dumb. No one can agree on any, we fight over stupid bullshit. We take rights away from people and, and here we are. Now we don't have, we, people can't get from point A to point B because we're bitching about money and all this other crap. If I was president, that would be my first move. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care who's in my pocket or in my head. I don't care what it costs. That's my (laughs) first move is making this happen. $150 billion of an executive order. The amount of jobs though, the amount and people that would be on this and like it would unite the country and like, I don't know. I don't know. You just need so much money to start, you know, which is something. Money's fake. Yeah, that's the thing. We just go print some. We just print money. Like, why do people still realize like money is like, oh, it costs too much? No, it doesn't. We decide how much it costs and we decide how much we have. There's no gold in Fort Knox anymore. (laughs) That's my theory, though. Like, so did you see the end of Money Heist or no? No. You weren't a Money Heist guy. No, it's on my list. All right, so I shouldn't say what I'm about to say, though. You can say it, I'll forget it. I'm in the middle of Stranger Things right now. I've got more important priorities. Oh fuck! See, that's next on my list. I'm almost done with Peaky Blinders. That's a good one too. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of crazy shit going on in the last season. But but anyway, the end of Money Heist. There's and actually, I don't think this should spoil much, but like, there is a theory that the bank, like most major banks. Fictional, of course. Most major banks, like their backing of gold that backs up the economy, it's just fucking fake. And who would ever know? Because it sits in vaults. It's under, you know, with lots of protection. Who the fuck knows? Like, that's all fake. I'm putting it happened in Money Heist. I'm putting the tinfoil hat on. Fort Knox is hiding way different things than, you know, like I'm 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 at the I'm at the point of my life and belief that. Area 51 is a hoax. That's just the derailment that everyone's like, oh, you know, things are going on in Area 51. And then the government's like, yeah, things are going on at Area 51. It's in fucking Fort Knox, Kentucky. 
it's the most guarded place in the entire country and no one's seen the inside of the walls yeah bro the shit's going on in there that's where the aliens are underneath in the labs and stuff well so we took a nice big nice big roundabout we started off talking about renting bunk beds for four hours during flights and now area 51's a hoax this is all truth this might be all truth we'll get connor's opinion on it um I actually don't know what he thinks about Area 51. We'll have to get him in. It's been a while. We, we, will, we will get him in. It has been a while. Um, another quick one. This is like a much, like this will frustrate you in different ways. Um, Snapchat Plus, as if we needed one more subscription-based messaging service. Um, it's $4 a month. They just announced this a couple of days ago. Four bucks a month. And I was looking at this, all you can really do. I mean, it doesn't seem like you could do a lot. You could change the icon of the app, first of all dumb what the hell do i need to look at snapchat differently than the yellow thing with the ghost on it um i get it how this appeals to like the younger kids like you can see who rewatched the story you can pin one of your friends as a bff which kind of takes me back to like that was the, the old days day. where you could see the top three snapchat yeah. friends that was crazy. but like that was that a, was crazy that was fighter that broke some people up that was fight or flight because it's like oh are you talking to this girl no i'm not well she's your number one friend on snapchat like that shit people oh yeah these younger kids don't know they don't know they never will and that was i guess uh, myspace was similar to that bff kind of deal like you could pin a bff on myspace i guess yeah um so i don't know my question for you is this a flop or is this a good idea I think any company, and I heard this on a podcast a few months ago, I forgot whose it was, stop throwing the plus on every single company and just charging more money. Honestly, it's getting frustrating where it's like, you're, it's going to be at a point where, who knows, you'll have to pay for Snapchat just to use the feature. Like, I think, I honestly think that's the trend we're going with social media for, you know, for example, Twitter, it's like $44 billion to, you know, for Elon Musk to buy it, this shit ain't going to be free. One day you're going to have to pay for all of this stuff. And you're seeing that with like news outlets too. And everyone's done it before. I mean, you have the athletic, it's only a dollar. It's like, again, it's only $4. It's only a dollar, but like, you're going to have to start paying for everything. Nothing's free anymore. And again, like who still uses Snapchat? Like I'm actually very surprised by, you know, we had um, Woodley from Playmaker a while back. Yeah. And, you know, they're heavily invested in Snapchat and Barstool does a lot of Snapchat shows. Like people still heavily rely on that, you know, source of viewership, which is insane, but it's that younger generation. Like we only use Snapchat to like go back to like the throwbacks. Because it, yeah, we send stupid shit to each other about like the crap we're doing in college or and all that. Random it's all the stuff. stuff like that's the only time I use it because it's like it was Snapchat is what time hop was which is an old yeah, the time hop really app. Point. We used to show you all your, your social media stuff, but like Snapchat, it was like the core video and photos and stuff, which were just funny. But I think it, it, it'll probably flop. I tweeted this about Twitter and you made a, a great point. It's like, why are we just charging more money for stuff when the value is not really there? Like I, I tweeted this. I don't think Twitter... I think I'll read you the exact tweet. It was hot take. Twitter should not be hiding basic improvements behind a paywall. No. And I'm talking about hills you're going to die on first. It's a U.S. continental railway. I'm dying on that hill. Like, I why do people pay three bucks for Twitter blue every month 
to get better features that make the app better. What does it even That get? is what so is stupid. Um, I don't even know what Twitter Blue gets you anymore. You don't even get a fucking edit button. Like, literally, that should be the... Like, the. I don't understand why that isn't, like, a thing. Yeah. You know, you can undo a tweet. That's just really stupid. You could just fucking delete it. Just delete it. Uh, Bro, once you post it, it's fucking there forever. So, someone's screenshotting it. You want to know the best part of these two, both Twitter and Snapchat, their premium versions, what they have in common? You would think ads are gone, right? Nope. Ads, ads galore, more ads. It ruins the platform. I mean, I get it. I like, I'm not anti-ad. Like I understand it's a business. You have to make money. It's a free service that millions and billions of people are using. I understand it, but it just ruins the platform. I think we're getting to the point. Remember when the, these big tech companies were scaling, it was like the big thing was just get users and figure out the rest later, right? It's like you build a, a really good working product with the input of a bunch of customers. You bring it to market, you iterate, you change, you take their feedback and all this stuff and you just invest money. And now we might be at the point where it's like, okay, big public companies now, you said you were going to get the users. Now, when the fuck are you going to start making some real money? Yeah. And maybe it's just that. Maybe we've reached the point where it's like, all right, let's just try experimenting with stuff. That's my hot take. It's just, I don't know. It's all a simulation. It doesn't make So do you say, so do you say flop on this? Yeah. I think I'm going to buy it. Again, your target. I'm just dropping my water bottle. And goodbye, water bottle. Your target market's kids. They're not going to fucking pay $4 a month for Snapchat. Well, is that's the question because like you know playmaker they do a lot on snapchat and they have all the snapchat shows and stuff it's a, it's actually a really solid advertising vehicle too but um i guess it depends like it obviously kids probably don't have credit cards and stuff that they can put on it unless it's their parents at this point so maybe this is targeted at like what do you mean kids don't have credit cards like 15 year old kids oh my god dude you're like it, they do. I didn't have one when I was 15. Yeah, but we're 25 now. I all right. <laughs> that is 10 you, years. Yeah. You need, that's you need I guarantee they at least have a debit card by 14 because that's when you get your working papers. Yeah, but are they gonna use like are they gonna load it up onto their phone and pay for this shit? How much stupid Well, your answer is no. I, I do get that. Yeah. Like your answer is yes, they have this and no, they're not gonna pay for it. Yeah, like I mean, they probably will. They probably will. But I, I think overall, like, they're not going to see the return they expected. Yeah. I mean, my, I, I just don't think, I don't know. Like, you would have to aim this at the, the people that are engaging with that sponsored content the most. Like, the Barstool stuff. Like, the, I say, like, 18 to 25-year-olds that are engaging with a lot of this stuff. I feel like that's who you have to target it at. The people that still give a shit about streaks and scores and all this stuff. Cause there's, there's a lot of Snapchats installed base. that still cares about that. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe that's, we'll have to see like, you know, Hey, if we get these ads, we know they're trying to target that age group, but I don't know. I don't know. I suppose only time will tell if it's destined for the same route as CNN plus. Canned. Exactly. In the, in the repository. Yeah. So 
That's interesting. I, I don't know. I, I think this, I think they're going to try to squeeze the life out of this. I will say, I think this might work more than Twitter blue. That's my hot take. Probably. I'm curious to see how many users are actually on Twitter blue. Yeah. I don't know that they're going to release it. I'm sure Elon will, if the thing goes through, but and he's actually going to take that away. So yeah, we just go. So I think, yeah, I, I, I would agree. I'd agree. That's Snapchat Plus, and that's business. Uh, let's go to Balls, presented by Manscaped. We've got Sean Quirk, PLL Cannons head coach. Uh, this guy's a man. Um, North Shore guy. Coached at Endicott, won a bunch of titles. Really good dude. Uh, we're talking all things for their matchup on Saturday night on ESPN Plus versus the Chaos both trying to find their ways still early in the season. So they've got some time uh, to turn things around. So without further ado, here is Sean Quirk from the Cannons. All right, everybody with us this week, a little Friday drop right before 4th of July. Uh, we got the head coach of the Cannons Lacrosse Club in the PLL, um, Sean Quirk. He is one of the names that you might recognize because he coached uh, obviously Paul Rabel, but his story is much more than just the PLL an incredible lacrosse player at uh, Springfield College, and then, of course, the former head coach at Endicott. He's sharing all things PLL and the Cannons this week, and we're excited to have him on. Coach, welcome onto the podcast, and how's everything going? Well, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it, and uh, things, are, things are great. Gearing up for our game uh, Saturday against the Chaos. We are definitely looking forward to that, and we will cover that in this episode. So, but let's, you know, let's dive into your career and a little bit about yourself. So let's go all the way back to college at Springfield, uh, All-American team twice. You were a standout player. How did you get into lacrosse? And, you know, tell us that story of, you know, get building yourself into the game. Yeah, you know, I, uh, I started playing lacrosse at an early age, first grade, and I also played baseball and I probably enjoyed baseball more at a very early age. Uh, my brother, Brian, who's six years older than I, uh, he was a phenomenal lacrosse player, a, a midfielder, uh, ended up playing at the University of New Hampshire. And then as years went on, I got into the seventh grade and I was diagnosed with an atrium septum defect, a heart condition. So I had surgery uh, at Boston Children's Hospital and recovered very well from that. But I was a midi from first grade till seventh grade. And I just didn't know how comfortable I was running after that. So my brother, again, being six years older said, you know, play goalie and I can shoot on you. And then the rest is history. Um, so that's how I, I got involved in the sport. And then you know, I just had unbelievable coaches throughout my entire career. Paul Adams at Cheshire High School in Connecticut and Keith Bugby at Springfield College, who's going just about into his 40th year there. Uh, those guys were great role models, father figures to me. And I just loved, you know, playing for them, but more so learning a lot about the sport and how I could apply it to the rest of my life. So that sort of led you into the coaching journey, right? And now it's been, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I've got 27 years, Coach. Does that sound right? 27 years you've been doing this? That sounds about right. Long <laughs> nice. time. So you've been doing, you, you know a thing or two about coaching, right? So it's, uh, 
it's, it's awesome that you've been able to have this long and fruitful career. So after your all American career, what was the first opportunity for you to get there? Was that something on your radar as well? Well, what's that? Those accolades? Uh, the coaching part, right? So you, yeah. you had the accolades as an All-American, right? You go into coaching, you know, what, what was that on your radar to even start with or did you just sort of fall into it? Yeah, you know, I, I wrote a paper as a sophomore in high school and I still have it to this day about wanting to be a teacher coach. And my high school coach, as I mentioned, he was a Springfield alum and I looked at some different schools. Recruiting then was a lot different than it is today. Uh, but I landed on Springfield and Coach Bugby is very much alike like Coach Adams was. Just that, that really a role model. And all coaches are like that to a degree. But there was something special about both of those guys. So come along my sophomore year, um, Coach Bugby ran a lot of lacrosse camps and he knew I wanted to get into coaching. So I started working those at a pretty young age and just really dove into it, started networking with different coaches, high school, college coaches. Uh, and that's when, after I graduated from Springfield, I stayed on there for two years uh, as a graduate assistant and then moved on to Endicott for the next 18 years. And then Endicott as well. This was a very unique point in the Endicott lacrosse program because your first year, there were 19 guys on the roster. That's a uh, very slim pickings, right? So you really had to engineer that roster, get the most out of it, and then lay the groundwork at a you know really early point in the program. So what were some of those career defining moments early on that really set the tone for you to be a, a long-term coach? Yeah. Yeah. Uh you know, we did, we had 19 guys, uh, Endicott was a, an all women's college went co-ed in 94 started really men's lacrosse 94, but the first season was 96 and, and Brian Wiley, who's our athletic director there now at Endicott, uh, he was the first coach coached the team for two years and truly recruited some pretty remarkable players. Um, and if you look at from year one, on there there aren't too many losing records and that really started with the foundation that brian built uh and then i was just able to sustain that uh for a number of years in 2001 that that was a defining moment where we went up we played middlebury in the nca tournament and we jumped out on middlebury it was the year that they might have either won or lost the national title we jumped on them three zero and I'm thinking this is going pretty well against a team that's, you know, winning national titles. And uh, the final score was 29 to three. Okay. So, so we got out to a hot start and we didn't finish very strong, but that was a defining moment because I had always had so much respect for Aaron Quinn, who was the coach there. And I called him a week after that and said, you know, next year at the convention, can I sit down with you and just, pick your brain about culture, no X's and O's, but really culture and how to build that in a team. And that's something, you know, in the nineties, two thousands, Middlebury was really known for it. They had talent, but they, they were winning a lot of national titles based on that, that culture. So Aaron was kind enough to sit with me for about two hours at the convention that year. And that's where I really started to, you know, even appreciate coaching more. I always love the X's and O's and the relationships, most importantly with players, but 
but developing that team, that, that family. So. And what, what um, coach, what entails, you know, building that culture, obviously it's different for, you know, team to team and coach to coach personnel to personnel, but for you, you know, what were some of the key factors or motives or anything that really made that culture such a winning success? Yeah. Um, and it's changed over the years, but, but back then it was, you know, really when you're out recruiting, recruiting is the lifeblood of all college coaches, all sports, right? And there's a ton of talent out there. But the thing of getting just great young men that are accountable, that have trust, that have like, that have responsibility just attached to them was the first and, and foremost thing. And it was a lot of work, right? When you put in that extra work of finding those right young men on top of the talent, um, it, it's time consuming like anything else. But those were the type of guys that, that we wanted to recruit and players that wanted to play lacrosse, but also really wanted to be at the institution first and foremost um, for 20 different reasons. Because you can be happy playing lacrosse and miserable 80% of your other time when you're not playing lacrosse. And it's going to affect your play on the field. And I really believe that. So we wanted guys that just were really hungry to be involved in a community and be, you know, a student athlete. And clearly your leadership was noticed because in 2015, you got the call, got to stay local, made it up to the pros for the, uh, you know, Boston Cannons, won the, the uh, title in 2020. And then the two leagues merged, the MLL went to the PLL. Um, you know, how different was the jump from college to pros? You know, in 2015, when I stepped down as the head coach at Endicott, like I was done coaching. Like I stepped down to be with my family more. My kids were, were much younger and I had already been doing it for 20 years at that point, right? And I thought maybe just go into administration and then the Cannons job opened in August. John Tucker went off to the Atlanta Blaze to be the head coach and GM with that expansion team. Kevin Barney, who at the time was the vice president of the Cannons, uh, we had that Springfield connection. I had reached out to him really to have a cup of coffee and, and talk about it. And, you know, here we are seven years later, still coaching the Cannons. Um, but the biggest difference was, you know, you talk about that recruiting piece and certainly the drafts and trades are, it's the same formula um, with finding the right guys. The biggest jump was practice, right? You only practice a, a couple days a week. And I thought that was gonna be a big adjustment, but the players IQs at this level in the PLL is just extraordinary. And the training that they do on their own time, they're mentally and physically prepared when they get to those two practices. And those are just super efficient. So, you know, it was dealing with some of those time management things with, with limited practice, um, not seeing the guys every day. That's one of the beautiful things with Zoom. We can get together with guys individually as our team, but we talk about that culture and relationships. I didn't know how that was going to really be built at this level. Um, and, and it took me a couple years to really kind of figure it out and the model that we wanted. So, and talk about getting thrown into the fire too, coach. You're number one. You're not coaching Joe Schmo lacrosse player. 
you've got two of the best to play the game on your roster. You've got Paul Rabel, who, I mean, for God's sake, he invented the league, right? So he, you've got one of the best attackmen, uh, or two of the best attackmen, I should say, and Paul, and then, uh, and then Lyle Thompson as well. So it must have been a tall order for you to walk in and sort of, you know, and be that coach and authoritative figure, right? So how does your mindset in that setting have to change and, and you know, almost shift when you're literally calling the shots for some of the greatest players of all time? Yeah. And honestly, what I've come to find is two of the greatest human beings, really, you know, just humble guys, um, that, that team first mentality. And the way it started was I was interested in Paul. He, you know, was drafted by the cannons. I kind of figured he'd maybe have a few left years left, you know, on those legs of his and, I thought was establishing a brand new team, right? You almost go back to 1998 when I took over a college team for two years. Now it's like, holy cow, we're building this thing from ground zero pretty much. I I reached out to Paul um, and asked him if he'd be interested in, in a trade. And he thought about it and he came back and said, absolutely. And then I, the next question was, what do you see your role being on this team? You know, and we had a lengthy couple hour conversation about what his experience had been with some other teams um, for all good and bad. And he came back and he said, I just want to be a player. That's all I want to do is just play and not talk about my outside job in the PLL because all of our players have secondary jobs, right? And they don't come into our locker room and talk about their law firm or their finance or being a police officer or whatever it may be. It's all about lacrosse um, and the team. And that's exactly what Paul wanted, you know, and I don't think he honestly experienced it maybe with some other places and he fit into the locker room. He was the first guy we had. Then we went to the, the uh, expansion draft and we had our eyes on Lyle when we found out we had that number one pick Um, and I knew the type of player and most important, the type of person both of those guys were. And we said, this is a good foundation to start. Right. Um, And Lyle, myself, Paul had a lot of talks about the right guys to go after in the expansion draft and then certainly the drafts and, and the player pool. So it was a great experience coaching those guys at the same time. Like I said, they're humble, uh, very modest, their ability to lead, but explain the game to the other guys. It, it was fantastic. And my thing in the locker room is I want every guy to have a voice, right? Yes. I'm the head coach, but I put a lot of responsibility with my assistant coaches. You know, I'm not a micromanager. And that's the way with the team. I, I don't micromanage these guys. I want them to communicate and listen and those sort of things. And you bring up a good point that not all of these players, majority of them aren't full timers. Um, they have their outside jobs their outside life. What kind of coaching approach or, you know, what kind of preparation do you take, you know, realizing that, that, Hey, you know, this, they're part of this team, but it might not be their priority or it is their priority, but they got other stuff going on outside their life, whether it's, you know, meetings or, you know, other obligations that they have, how do you manage that, that mix of, uh, you know, 
corporate America or outside jobs and lacrosse? Right. Great question. You know, and I go back to college coaching, you know, you, you take some things from your previous experience. It's a different level. It's professional and you leave some things. Uh, it's like managing athletes in college. They got their schoolwork, they got other activities they're doing, they got relationships, a social life, and lacrosse. And the thing we told our college players and certainly the, the guys on the cannons is when you are at work or with your family, you're all in, right? And when you are with our family and our team, you're all in. Um, so it's just really having those conversations with the team and individuals that they buy into it. And I think lacrosse is still, you know, it is a business, but it's something they love to do. They play it because they love it. And when they're with the team, that, that's what their focus is. So obviously lacrosse in America has a, a rich history, right? It's, it's been around, you know, it was uh, founded by the Iroquois. It's been played for many, many years, right? So I mean, it's not a new sport, but the game's evolving so much now. So in your opinion, you know, obviously not necessarily the opinion of the league or, you know, others around you, but, but how does this work, right? Like how, what does the PLL and, you know, the teams and the, the fans and everything that the Rabels and, and the teams and the fan bases are building, what does it need to do to be successful long-term and, and really take that next step? Yeah. Uh, you, you know, if you look back, three years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, there was no PLL, right? And what the Rabels and many other people have done is they have put so many eyeballs on the sport of lacrosse um, in so many different ways, right? The social media content is as good, if not better than any professional league. Being on ESPN, um, you know, just huge. You both know that better than anyone. The people, lastly, which is the most important thing uh, at every level, whether it's Mike Rabel, Paul Rabel, all the way down, um, the people they have on their team are, are just wonderful, you know, and they work hard, they see the big picture. Uh, us as coaches, all eight of us are ultra competitive, right? Uh, but I know that all eight of us at the same time have the PLL in the best interest. And I think just two, four years into the PLL, look at what's happened. You know, six years down the road when it's year 10, you can only, you can't even fathom what it's going to be, right? Uh, and I think the, PLLs had a, a positive impact, not just on viewers, but youth lacrosse, the youth kids through PLL Academy programs like PLL Assist, uh, the women's game, right? The PLL is a men's lacrosse league, but they are impacting and supporting the women's uh, teams at, at all level. And then obviously middle school, high school, college players, they're enamored by it. I came from a PLL academy today uh, 100 kids that just whether they like the chaos or the chrome or, or the cannons it, it doesn't matter they're lacrosse enthusiasts you know and they're getting coached by some of the best players in the world 
all those things just raises, you know, the bar for, for our sport. And the PLL in four years has, has done that. The game's growing and it's growing at a fast speed. I mean, now's the time with uh, not a lot of major sports on. Right now it's only baseball. People got to tune into the PLL this summer and beyond because uh, there's definitely a lot to uh, a lot to witness and a lot of great great uh, players and coaches to uh, experience as well. But let's talk about this matchup this weekend. I mean, you're taking on the chaos in Minneapolis. You know, without giving away your game plan or any strategy, you know, what's the uh, what's the what's the mentality going into this game? Yeah, you know, you you look at the past and you look to the future and you dream, right? It's a journey the season uh, coming off an overtime loss to the Chrome who, you know, in this league, five, six goals could be scored in two minutes pretty darn easily, right? A lot shorter time than that. So a lead is never comfortable. Um, but as that game went on, you know, I thought we figured out some things about ourselves that we hadn't seen in previous weeks. Uh, the continuity of the team is unbelievably strong. Our locker room is, I mean, these guys love each other, you know, and they tell each other they love each other. And I, talking to Tyson Bell right before this or earlier in the evening and, you know, we just said, we love you. So guys are, guys are building those relationships, which is awesome. And we like the group that we're going to battle with on Saturday against the chaos. It's a great challenge, right? They're the defending champions and, and our guys are geared up and, and really excited to compete on Saturday. Do you have any good Andy Tower stories as well? I mean, I, I've certainly got one. The one interaction I had with him, I shook his hand at the after party last year when they won and he, uh, I said, great work, you know, nobody better. And he, uh, he sort of shoved me in the chest and goes, hell yeah, man. So that's, uh, that's my one Andy Tower story. But you've got to have some, right? Well, I'll give you one when I was playing in college. And, uh, and, I'll, and then I'll just fast forward to, you know, when we're scrimmaging at, at, at training camp. He was out of, he's, Andy's a little bit older, right, than I, although he doesn't look it. So we're playing in the Glastonbury lacrosse tournament. I might've been a junior going into my senior year in college. And here comes Andy Towers down the field and he takes a shot wide, goes back up, runs by the goal and says, next time I shoot it, I'm going to shoot it right through your chest. <laughs> Just the classic towers. Right. And uh, fast forward to, you know, we're scrimmaging them at training camp and Coaches always shake hands, right? It's a ritual in our sport that you shake hands before the game. Well, Towers doesn't shake hands necessarily. He goes in for the hug, right? But it's not really a hug. It's more like a, a body slam. And uh, yeah. you don't and say. Like, <laughs> and all all you can say now is like, Tower, I'm going to kick your ass right now, right? <laughs> and uh, but Andy's a great guy, you know, a great competitor, and I think somebody that's just you know, a lot of respect for him and great for the league. Hey, there's only one guy that can like take a phone call during a scrimmage and get away with it. I think that was when he was playing you guys. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Was that? Exactly. That's, that's some crazy stuff. Yeah. I think uh, he's probably the most intense coach uh, in recent history at the, at the pro lacrosse level. Like I can't name anybody more intense than him. No. Uh, one of the best, one of the best, but Coach, I got one question for you. Because you look like you're in pretty good shape. 
if you're getting back on the field today, how many goals are you stopping in a game? <laughs> I, I might play in Placid. <laughs> oh, <wow>. uh, <laughs> nice. not many, man. I, I don't think I have too many saves left. Oh, yeah, you do. Maybe a couple. Maybe a couple. Oh, God. You know, I turned 50 in November, so I'm like, this is the time to jump back in because you're going to be the young guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, that's actually a really good point. Yeah. So, we'll say oh. my kids are pushing me. There you go. You can, or you can live vicariously through them either one, but yeah. Hey, you're a North, uh, you're a North shore guy as well. So you've got to, uh, got to plug some of your favorite eats or drinks around, uh, you know, the North shore and maybe into Boston too. We are, yeah, we talk a lot of craft beer on this show, so oh. we're big into that kind of stuff, but yeah, now's your chance to plug. I, I mean, North shore, you got to go to Nick's roast beef. Okay. In Beverly. Greatest okay. spot ever. People will tell you Kelly's is better, but Nick's is where it's at. And then in the North End in Boston, uh, Dolce Vita, best Italian restaurant, my favorite. So those Two are some spots. good ones. I I've never been to Nick's Roast Beef. Thinking? I've heard excellent things though. Um, I've my sample size is low. I've only really had Kelly's um, and a few other places here and there, but um, so yeah, you've never had know. Nick's. I've never had, had a Nick's roast beef. Yeah, Nick's you have. That's right. Yeah, Nick, you have. Nick's is very good. And I'm a sucker for a roast beef sandwich. So I, I All right. appreciate that rack. I am a man of my word. Here's what's going to happen. When we play in Fairfield, because that's a close game, right? Minnesota's a, a good haul. Uh, <laughs> Fairfield, Connecticut. You guys are getting Nick's roast beef. There we go. I'm, I'm game. That's it. I'm I'll game. put it in a cooler. It'll stay nice and cool. It'll be fresh. Good. Sounds That's a plan. You, you sold me. I'll be there. <laughs> All right. Let's do or it. Or even Gillette. Gillette's coming up too. You know what? All-star game weekend, baby. Right there. <laughs> Done. There it is. There I it love is. it. I'm he's, taking you up on that. He's craving Nick's roast beef now. You know, he's trying to push up the calendar to, uh, to Gillette. Not <laughs> I'm looking. We got a couple weeks. It's, it's coming close. It's coming close. You guys going to be awesome. back for the 4th of July or you have to be stuck in Minneapolis? No, I'm coming back the 3rd. Going to celebrate 4th of July here on the water. And then I'm off to North Carolina to run a camp. Should, wait, so I will be, you could, you'll find me at Hawthorne by the sea on 4th of July. Be right up there. Come on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's go. <laughs> come, come through. Get some drinks and we'll talk shop and we'll talk about your win on, uh, on Saturday. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Shoot me a text. I'm going to reach out to you. I, we, we love this. And when, you're, when you make it down to Rhode Island, we'll take you out for a drink. Uh, craft beer galore. And the Italian. And, hey, hot, and hot the Italian. Take, hot yes. take. Federal Hill might be uh, competing with the North End of Boston. Hot take. All right. All right. I don't think that's a hot take. I think that's just truth. I went to watch uh, Sean Kerwin's Virginia Cavaliers play Brown this spring. And I went to a, it, I think it was up right by Brown, a taco place, burritos. It was ridiculous. Ridiculous. Bears probably. Bajas possibly? Might've been Bajas. It could have been. Might've been. Was it like a crowded road coach or no? Like, yeah, it was a side road, and you literally just went up and ordered, and then you had to, you know, sit at picnic tables. Bajas. Yeah. yeah. Bajas, yeah. That's a good Ridiculous. spot. Bajas is one of good. our favorites. Yeah. We'll give you the full food tour. Uh, All right. Providence, but this is the, I like it. 
We're making plans. The summer's getting busy. There we go. I'm, I'm looking forward to the food eats. Absolutely. All right. So before we let you go, I mean, anything to plug away? You know, what should uh, we be looking for this weekend with the Cannons and the rest of the season? And, uh, you know, any chances to plug the PLL? The floor is yours. Yeah. You know, thanks for having me, guys. This was a blast. Um, our, our guys are just ready to compete. You know, we talk about playing one minute games for 48 minutes, not too high, not too low. I think it's, uh, you know, it's an emotional game when, when you play a team like the chaos and we're both fighting to, to get up in those standings a little bit. So it's going to be ultra competitive, like every week, um, you know, to all the just PLL fans out there, if you watch it on TV, great. If we are in your area, come to the games because it is an experience you haven't had before in this amazing game. So love watching it on TV, but come, come see us play live. Um, ESPN plus all year, all 47 games. Um, six o'clock Eastern is the Saturday, right? Chaos cannons. Uh, first game of the double header. Um, it'll be really fun. And the whips and water dogs go later that night. Uh, should be a really fun. Couple of weeks too, as the all-star game ramps up uh, ESPN plus all year. Coach, uh, can't thank you enough. Seeing a couple weeks uh, Gillette Stadium and then Fairfield. Uh, looking forward to, to shoving a roast beef uh, down the yeah. gullet after uh, – <laughs> what is that? You guys are taking the – oh, Archer's rematch. All right. That's an afternoon game too, and that's like a Sunday. So, yeah, we'll, we'll have some roast beef after that. Perfect. Yeah, we will. <laughs> I love it, Coach. Awesome. Coach, good luck this weekend, and uh, we look forward to meeting up soon. Take care. Thanks, gentlemen. Appreciate it. And that was just head coach of the Cannons of the PLL, Sean Quirk. Uh, great interview. We're excited to meet up with him in person. We're excited to tune into the PLL. And like I said, there's not many sports going on besides baseball right now. You have no better opportunity to start hopping on the bandwagon and start rooting for your teams. And that interview was brought to you by Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com slash house for 20% off and free shipping. And we're, we got more balls to talk about. Yes, we do. Uh, look at rapid fire. Yankees are cooking still. Not much more needs to be said than like, you know, they're, they're right where they need to be right now. They, they are in a unique position where I think every year we've talked about what trades they need to make. I think they could, it wouldn't hurt them to add another and give up a piece. Um, I think maybe a starting pitchers at the top of the list just for insurance. But uh, I mean, they're, they are cruising right now. They are starting pitcher fucking outfielder. Well, I guess an outfielder too. I'm so, well, I am so disappointed in the production in Joey Gallo. I think I don't know if he got a hit today, um, because he's been hitless uh, for not, 26 at bats. Let's double check and oh for two with a strikeout and a walk. One sixty-five batting average. What a fucking disappointment! He detrimental. Was, he's detrimental to the team, and you know I will if they. I wouldn't be surprised if he's traded at the deadline. If not, he's DFA'd. Well, who's uh, this trade value is nothing. Who's gonna? Who the hell's gonna want him? Part I don't know to offset contracts. Honestly, like I, if I were, you know, I mean, think about it. You have teams like the Cubs and the and the Royals with players such as Hap and Benatendi, respectively where, hey, you know, 
you don't want to be a total embarrassment and give them up for nothing. We'll still attach prospects to you, but here's Joey Gallo. Here's a name. Here's someone that can get access to the seats. Maybe he'll give you a late season spark. Joey Gallo's got masses in the seats, so that's the thing. He's not like a former star in all his glory. Like he had a couple of good years, um, but he's not like he's not generating that buzz. And like he was, I think he was last year, but I think that's that. But he also, gone. but also, he's an impending free agent, so he's off your books at the end of the year. Right, that's the thing. If the Yankees were to eat it, I get it. Two-time All-Star, two-time Gold Glove winner, 167 career home runs. Yeah, see, like, that's fine. Oh, he was an all-star last year, too. That's fucking embarrassing. He has, like, a 160 average since joining the Yankees. Yeah. He went, uh... from, went from, like, 40 home runs. Like, what is his career stats? His career stat, 205 batting average through last I mean, week. Listen, we already knew runs. that, like, he is home run or strikeout. But let's see. All right. Before getting traded to the Yankees, so halfway through the season with the Rangers, he was batting 223, which is the second highest in his career, 25 home runs, but 125 strikeouts. He joined the Yankees, 160 average, 13 home runs, 88 strikeouts. Um, in 2017 and 18, he had back-to-back 40 home run seasons. Like, is that worthy of like, hey, well, is that going to sell tickets? I, and I, my answer is no to that. Either way, either way, he won't be on the team come July. Come I just want fucking Glenn. Like, I feel like we were robbed. I want Glenn Otto back. And I wanted Joey Gallo on the team. So did everybody. He was supposed to be the saving grace. And, you know, sometimes and majority of the times, like the, the Yankees either trade for a star and it works out Anthony Rizzo being one of them in, in recent memory, he finds a diamond in the rough and they perform very well. Clay Holmes in recent memory, but then they also find guys that were incredible, went to the Yankees sucked and then made a career elsewhere and became good. Sonny Gray, Lance, yeah. Lynn, uh, Tyler Clippard. It happens. Yeah. Clippard was good for the Yankees for the first and. But then he was, but then he was bad. Yeah. Then he was good again. Then he was bad. And he was it was bad. awful. Yeah. So it sucks. I'm really just hoping he like, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Another one other outfielder would be good. Like outfielder starting pitcher. I'm happy. And if they don't do anything, that's okay. Like I'm at peace. If they don't do anything at the deadline, I, I'm actually okay with it. I am, but they need the insurance. Right. I think they should have some, but we've seen in years past, you know, when the Yankees are making a run, they do pick up a sixth, a sixth starter. Uh, I already mentioned Lance Lynn and Sonny Gray, but Jay Happ was another Um, Jaime Garcia was another. We've seen it in years past recently that someone is coming in, but again, they could also say reinforcements are coming with Domingo Herman, Chapman, Britton, Loisica. So who knows what I love though, about like this team is it's the first time. And again, knock on wood, there's been no major injuries and the next man, the next man up mentality, isn't something that we're like, all right, you know, you need to step up and fucking shine. But the guys that have stepped up, you know, when there are some injuries or setbacks, J 
JP Sears, 12 innings in his four appearances as a rookie, zero ERA. Um, who's the guy? Melanchio? Uh, Mar- Mar- Rob Marinaccio? Marinaccio. Another one. Been fucking coming out of nowhere. So, yeah, um, pretty good. Jose Trevino, a, a diamond in the rough, and he might be on the all star team. He's second place second in right the yep. I love it. And shout out to Cashman. We give him a lot of shit, but like I said, he does find the diamonds in the roughs, the Luke Voigt's, the Gio Rochellos, the Clay Holmes, the Wani Peraltas. He traded fucking Albert Abreu, who was a promising pitcher for Jose Trevino. The Rangers DFA'd him, the Royals DFA'd him. He's back on the Yankees, shining. That's a fucking masterclass. Matt, that's a that is a masterclass cash god move and an ultimate testament to Matt Blake's pitching coaching abilities. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. Two for two there. Uh, so the Yankees are cooking. We'll have to keep. We'll have to see what they do. I'm looking forward to it. Um, NBA free agency starting. The draft's done. Um, yeah, a lot went down to the NBA. So Jalen Brunson to the Knicks seems like the big free agent signing right now, which is kind of weird. You talked about it. I talked about it because I just thought it was so intriguing, right? It's like it's like this guy that was – and people sleep on Brunson because everyone's like, oh, you know, he had like less than 10 points or whatever. And that He actually had a really good year, and he was – arguably one of the best college players ever like top i would say stats alone and accolades top 10 probably top 10 yeah yeah listen i've talked to myself into jalen brunson um i wasn't too very familiar with him in the nba obviously very familiar with his time in villanova um i knew he was a perfect complimentary piece to luca and it showed from their success. I mean, Luca would not be having 40-point games without Jalen Brunson. He might. But I've started to talk myself into Brunson, and people are saying it's an overpay. Um, I think it's also the whole mentality that people would laugh at the Knicks either way. They'd sign Jalen Brunson, so they'd say, LOL, Knicks. If they missed out on Jalen Brunson, they'd say, LOL, Knicks. And another team, like if the Heat grabbed him or the Mavs resigned, they'd be like, that's a great move. So I've started to talk myself into him. But a couple stats that you know pointed out to me. I think he was averaging like 16, 17 points, whatever it was. But when Luca was out, especially in the playoffs, and he held his own in the playoffs, which is why the Knicks were so in on him, they averaged, he averaged 20.4 points a game, 7.5 assists, and four rebounds in 17 games. Small yeah, sample two size. games, two against the Jazz, 41 points and 31 points. So he's got it. And think about it, too, where it's like he is a point guard on the Mavs but he's a de facto point guard. The ball's going through Luca's hands on the Knicks. Think about like, I mean, there was a tweet before that I saw, like we, the Knicks haven't had a point guard in fucking forever. Look at this. Every Knicks starting point guard since opening night of 2009, 2009. BBB guest, Chris Duhon. (laughs) Uh, 2010 was Felton. 11 was Tony Douglas, 12 was Felton again, 13 was Pablo Prigioni, 2014 was Shane Larkin, 2015 Jose Calderon, 2016 D. Rose, 2017 uh, Raymond Sessions, 2018 Trey Burke, 2019 Alonzo Trier, 2020 Alfred Payton, 2021 Kemba Walker. This is your time to make a name for yourself, prove everyone wrong, 
and facilitate the ball. And I think that'll help. You know, it looks like, you know, the Knicks aren't going to make a big splash in, in moves right now, which is totally fine. Work on this core that you have. Feed the ball to Julius and RJ. You know, get some get some momentum rolling. I, I'm I'm talking myself into this move for now. And people are saying overpay four years, 104 million. The market's so inflated. Yeah, not when fucking Booker just signed a uh, a 50 million dollar a year contract. It's like no it's going to be a steal one day. And also, Anthony Simmons, who the only thing that he has to his name is a fucking dunk dunk competition where he stole from Obi. Got a hundred million dollars this year. Yeah, and for assignments, it's like I, I don't know. That was weird. That was a weird one. Yeah, the one the one move I do like with the Knicks right now that was you know I was a little bit surprised, but um, was this Isaiah Hardenstein, the center? Mm-hmm. He's twenty four years old. He has a great three point shooter for a set uh, as a center, a very good defender, above average passer, fantastic efficiency. He was a G League Finals MVP in 2019. I did not know that. Yeah, and his stats were like, I'm trying to pull him up. It was... uh, Yeah, Hartenstein was, um, I guess, where was he? Well, he was was with... um, Yeah, so he must have been like backing up Vitya Zubats or something. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, Whatever. It was like he actually like... What's his... Nuggets, Cavs, Clippers, all in the last two years. They played for the Rockets, too. He the potential, but, I mean, last year in 17 minutes, he was averaging 8.3 on 62% field goal, a 46.7% three-point percentage as a center, five rebounds a game, two and a half assists, and a block. I'll take it. Yeah, I mean, I hope it's, I hope it's uh, the writing's on the wall. The writing's not on the wall that they don't bring back Mitchell Robinson. Um, I'd love to have him back. I'd also love if they traded for Miles Turner, but a good secondary piece. I would have loved Mo Bamba, but. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know just how well, like, I feel like Obi kind of plays like him, you know? Well, not really, because no. Obi can shoot. Mo Bamba can't, so. Yeah. I don't know. I, I uh, The initial moves that they, because originally you're like, well, why the fuck are they trading everybody? It's like, all right, cool. You clear the cap. You sign Brunson. Great. Uh, see how it works, right? If the team implodes, then then you've got to start really rethinking shit. So I don't know. Uh, we'll come back to the Knicks because um, we're going to have a lot more NBA to talk about, which leads to the next point. Um, Kyrie Irving. We talk, We Luckily, we got all our analysis on him <laughs> in the opening of the show here. But real quick, where do you think he goes and why? <sighs> I think the only option is the is the Lakers. I, I Jesus Christ. I think they've both talked themselves into it, meaning Kyrie and the Lakers. Um, I don't know what the Lakers can trade him for. It'll probably be a ton of picks for the future. Russell Westbrook will probably have to be mentioned in. I cannot see another team, you know doing this and I was I was tricked for a second when he opted in and, and I thought Kevin Durant was staying but I I he's going to be a Laker and I don't think it'll work out makes you say that no I'm kidding no sure yeah. it's not gonna work out yeah um yeah I don't really know um I'm looking and all the trades that make sense to me are with the Lakers and nothing else makes sense um wow all right i'll read one 
massive four-team trade, and that's it. Because I don't want to, like, go down, like, all the different paths, but, like, here's just one. Suns, Spurs, Nets, and Lakers get involved. So the Nets get Aiton, McHill, Bridges, Richardson, and three picks. For Durant. Suns get Durant, Lakers get Irving, and the Spurs get Westbrook and two picks, both from Los Angeles. It, there's too that's much, a fucking huge haul. There's too much money to be moved around. It's it's it, that's where it, you start losing me. And, and I don't know. You treat two starters if you're the Suns, Aiden and Bridges, who are good. Those well, are Aiden, good guys. Aiden's on the way out. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess he is. Aiden, like they fumbled the bag on giving him a contract extension after their finals run, um, and he said he's like, I'm not resigning. So it, like, the only reason he's included in those trades is because it's the sign and trade with the trade exception being factored in. Yeah, you have to right. You have to sign and trade. Like, so I, I don't know. Yeah, that's why. Like, I'm actually. I I won't be surprised if this Knicks deal with Jalen Brunson becomes a sign and trade somehow. Once you get over, once you get into the triple digits, oh. I mean, it'll probably be like picks and stuff, but it creates a trade exception for the team, and they have it's it's it gets uh, it gets weird. Yeah. I don't know. So I, I don't know. Gun to my head. Like, I really don't know where Kyrie goes. I say the Lakers though too, I guess, because that's really like, that's the only thing that makes sense to me. Um, but we'll find out these next couple of weeks. And then finally, Colorado Avalanche, uh, they have lifted Lord Stanley um, and they knocked off the bolts. I, I, I knew they could do it. They just looked so much better. Um, shout out Chris Hanel, who I literally thought was like, uh, he was in a dark space because he did not want the lighting to win a, a three. No, well, he got his he got his uh, his preferred Stanley Cup, not his choice, but his preferred Stanley Cup winner. I will. The writing was in the wall though because when he came and visited us for the beer festival in February, um, that was right before I moved into the new apartment, and I was give, I found for some reason I had a Colorado Avalanche jersey in my box of jersey. <laughs> And I gave it to him and I, I told him, I'm like, I'm going to have money on the cab, the abs winning the Stanley cup, just because they gave you this Jersey. And they were one of the teams that I had money on. Oh, come on. Congratulations. It was a good win. It was a good win. I actually, I, in February and March had bets down for the, this was the heater that I was on. I had, Warriors to win the Western Conference, Celtics to win the Eastern Conference, Avs to win the Western Conference, and then I also had I had the Rangers win the East. So I went through for yeah. four. Yeah, it's pretty damn good though. I'll take it because the odds are all way up there. I'm yeah, sure. they're all like plus five hundred to plus nine hundred. Yeah, it was it was good money. You just made me think of something too. So, so in Missouri. You've, you've seen Ozark, right? Mm-hmm. In Missouri, I didn't, I totally forgot this. You know, we're walking down the, huh? Lake of Ozarks. Right. So we're walking around or like right down the mighty Mississippi near the Gateway Arch. And I see across the, uh, across the river in Illinois, a big DraftKings casino. And I'm like, hey. Sports like this. This is legal here in Missouri. Like, but do you guys have casinos? And I forgot that the one thing in Missouri that makes it so unique is that if you have a casino, it needs to be on a riverboat. Yeah, totally forgot about that. I thought that was like a myth. 
but that's that shit's true there's a bunch of riverboat casinos in missouri but it has to be on a boat that's so dumb what world do we live in where you have to have a casino on a river riverboat gambling but like that would be pretty cool there's like a DraftKings sports book on a river like that's kind of fucking sick that is sick um <laughs> did not did not get there we'll do that next time um it's one of those weird yeah. laws yeah Missouri's a wild place, man. Wild, wild. wild. The whole Midwest is freaking crazy. Um, that's our show. Um, that's episode 91. We've got a lot of cool stuff coming in July. Uh, we'll be back on somewhat of a regular schedule for the rest of the month, hopefully. So that's all for this one. Till next time, that's Will and I'm Jake. So long, everybody. Take it easy. Take it easy.